We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome to McFarland. This is a farming town. These kids working here are invisible. They come from the fields and they go back to the fields. Mr. White, if we're gonna reach him, now's the time. Have a good day. I'm Coach White, the new PE teacher. Diaz, Diaz, Diaz. Popular name where you guys come from? White, that a popular name where you come from? <laughs> All right, run a lap, go. Yeah. Cross country running. California is holding their first state championship this year. You do understand we don't have a cross country team? Yep. You've coached cross country before? No. You competed in high school maybe? No. Well, you sound perfect. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Huge thanks to everyone who tuned in to last week's episode talking Everybody Wants Some with guest Chris Crawford. Uh, I am a huge fan of Everybody Wants Some, as I think everybody who listened to that podcast realizes. I hope everyone who had not seen that movie before went and checked it out. It is like a $4 rental on Prime. If you haven't seen Everybody Wants Some yet, by all means, please go do that. Uh, today's episode is a movie that I had not seen before. Uh, before today's guest told me about it, it is uh, McFarlane USA returning guest Jeff Perlman and his wife Catherine. She is also an author. They joined me. Jeff uh, gave me a heads up. Was you know asked me if I had seen McFarlane USA. I said no. And I, I you know I knew of it. Obviously Kevin Costner, but it was kind of a, a Disney sports movie that no one really talked about. And um, I was very pleasantly surprised. I think you'll. You'll hear on this episode, uh, you know, not it is not a Hall of Fame for me, spoiler alert, but it's really, really good. My only regret about McFarlane USA in this episode is that this movie has an incredible big chill moment, like top tier, as good as you can get big chill moment. And there is not a good audio clip version of it on uh, on YouTube. It is the uh, if you've seen this movie, it is the the Danny Diaz scene. That's not Danny Diaz. I when I was recording this episode in the back of my mind, I was like, cannot wait to put the clip in. It's not there, so uh, if you're let down during the big chill segment, that is why. 
Um, but yeah, otherwise great episode as always. Big thanks to Jeff and, and thanks to Catherine, a new Perlman stopping by uh, and joining us on Big Screen Sports. Uh, if you enjoy this episode, subscribe. You know, everything's evergreen on that feed. So go back, check out Big Screen Sports, especially if this is your first episode. See if we've covered one of your favorites or least favorites. And if you haven't yet, give a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And with that, it's time to talk McFarland USA with Jeff and Catherine Perlman. All right. Joining me today, a return guest and a first-time guest. I, I'm very excited for this. We have been circling the wagons on this movie and this guest tandem for a while. It is two best-selling authors. It is returning guest Jeff Perlman and first-time guest his wife, Catherine Perlman. Perlmans, thank you so much for joining Big Screen Sports. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. I'm very excited. Uh, Jeff, everyone everyone who's listening to this podcast knows you got books, you got the podcast. Catherine, you have a book. Tell us about your book. Promo your book. <laughs> sure. I have a parenting book called Ignore It, uh, and it helps improve all the obnoxious, unwanted behaviors that our kids do by just ignoring them. It's amazing. And that's exactly what you guys are doing right now, because you're here recording <laughs> a podcast with me. God knows where your kids are. You're, you're doing it. Yes. Kids, what they're, kids? They're listening to uh, they're listening to past episodes of the show, Kyle. So you don't have to worry. It's it's keeping them busy. Is is Emmett still operating that click farm I told him to start to, to give he me is. five star reviews on Apple Podcasts? <laughs> he is indeed. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad he's uh, glad he's doing everything that I, I told him I needed him to do. Uh, but but we're here because Jeff, uh, a few weeks ago, you asked me if I had done McFarland USA. And I said, I don't, I haven't even seen McFarland USA. Uh, McFarland USA is the the 2015 biography uh, drama from Disney. Jim White moves his family after losing his last job as a football coach in his new school. And at his new school, he turns seven disappointing students into one of the best cross country teams in the region. Start Kevin Costner, Maria Bello, and a bunch of great unknown actors is directed by Nikki Caro got an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes and I will say right off the bat pleasantly surprised me it was kind of a very unseen in this Disney lineage of sports films Catherine I want to start with you is this a Hall of Fame all-star starter or bench warmer sports movie for you uh I'm gonna go Hall of Fame it's like one of those movies that if any time you would turn the TV on, if it were on, I would watch it and I would enjoy it again. Even though I know what's going to happen, I'd still be excited for these boys. That's what that's the same thing my my wife said is what we were talking about is one. Why isn't this on TV more? Because it would make a great TV movie, something that you could throw on. It is a little long uh, for, you know, for a Disney sports movie. But it, it's kind of like Remember the Titans in the sense of you could turn this on whenever and, and there's a good scene coming up. I have a bunch listed and best scene. Uh, Jeff, what about you? I'm putting in Hall of Fame, too. I think it's one of the most, if, the not, if not the most underrated sports movie of the last, whatever, 25 years. I feel like it's, I don't even think people know of it. Um, and when you think about the Costner sports movies, he's been in some really bad ones that people are very much aware of. And I feel like 99% of society has no idea Kevin Costner is in this movie. It's interesting in this being an underrated or kind of an underseen sports movie, because last time we were on, I think we talked about Sugar towards the end and just being mm -hmm. a really good, you know, a really good movie, a really good sports movie. And that's underseen because it's just a kind of a low budget, you know, indie film that didn't have a wide release. Disney put this out and it, you know, it it did fine, but it wasn't, you know, it we don't talk about it like like we do some of the other Disney movies. But 
Jeff, you and I were messaging before we started this podcast, and uh, you know, you said I, we were going to have a nice, peaceful podcast, no hot takes. This is going to be smooth sailing. Okay. And then you told me that you thought this movie was better than Miracle, Remember the Titans, and The Rookie, kind of the other big Disney sports movies of this century. Yep. Um, Miracle is like a second child to me. The movie is beautiful. It's nearly perfect. It's directed by Gavin O'Connor, who he did Miracle, he did Warrior, he did The Way Back. He is a, he's a god. If anyone knows him, please tell him to come on this podcast. Um, Titans is, I mean, that's Denzel. That's a lot of, you know, Titans is probably the most hyped of those three movies. The Rookie has its moments. So I I would hear an argument on that, but what's your, you, you know, explain yourself, defend yourself. This movie better than those three. Okay. So, um, I would argue I'm going to, the best case you have is Miracle. Miracle is an excellent movie. It takes some liberties that bother me, but it's a it's a it's a very good movie. I agree with you. I think uh, I I think it's very well done. I do. Um, I think Remember the Titans is one of the most overrated pieces of crap ever. It drives me crazy. Ooh. I hate that movie. I think it's so far fetched and so far removed from reality, and it's cornball and the Motown sing along and Denzel just being Denzel times a million. Uh, I, it is a movie I never need to see the, he walks into the hospital room and he's like, can't you tell he's my brother? I just so cheese ball and over the top. And what I like about this movie among many things, I think it has a very pleasant pace. I don't think they overdo it. There are a few areas that I think they overdo, but not terribly. And I just think it's, and also I will say I'm a, I'm a long time runner. I was a competitive runner and I feel like this movie pretty much nailed what it is to be a high school runner and the nerves and the moment right before the gun goes off and the sweaty palms and people running around you. I just thought it really nailed it well without the exaggerations. And I thought, especially remember the Titans just was really burdened by exaggerations. Miracle. I understand that argument, but remember the Titans. No, this movie is very understated in mm-hmm. um and, and the other three are they they really tried to build you up for big chill moments and i love big chill moments it's my favorite category of this show um but the the movie those other three movies really hit you with like a big theme song and they they're they're building up a bunch of collateral to try to give you the chills miracle it works a million times the rookie has two moments that i will always go back to that are that are fantastic um titans still ha- you know titans has a couple moments i mean people love titans again if you're if you just listen to jeff uh savage your favorite sports movie and you're like <laughs> holstering a one star apple podcast review jeff's podcast is called two writers slinging director uh, direct <laughs> all those reviews to that podcast feed um but you mentioned also costner's history in sports movies which is another it's a reason it's why it's kind of bewildering that this was uh this was so underseen or just not talked about enough Catherine, if you had to rank the kevin costner sports movies which are this bull durham field of dreams for love of the game and god bless it draft day uh what's your do you have a favorite out of those and would it be oh, this this is definitely my favorite of those of his movies. I just want to say for the record that watching a sports movie with a sports writer, as you've just heard, takes a little bit of the joy because I don't <laughs> care if it's like hitting the history 100% right. I like the Motown sing-along. 
I like the fluff and the warm moments. So, you know, the fact that he didn't poo-poo this movie means this is like the top of the line all-star movie. And he was a runner and he still didn't poo-poo this movie. So I really think that has a lot to say about this movie. I would rank this the best. Bull Durham is a classic. I loved Bull Durham, but I like this one better. And then I'll go Field of Dreams. Ugh. For Love of the Game, I think was terrible if I remember. And I never saw Draft Day. It's not my kind of movie. So Wait, Kyle, can I say something Kyle important? Yeah. What, what the lovely wife just said actually hurts me because she was like, if I remember for Love of the Game, our <laughs> second date, not only did we go see for Love of the Game, but I had a booger attached to my nose for all seven hours of that date and two and a half hours or whatever of that date was seeing the movie for Love of the Game, which I'm sure throughout the movie, even though we were only at date number two, I was going, ugh, jeez, ugh, ugh, ugh. So we do yes. have a history with Costner. You're lucky you got a third date after that performance in the movie And, and boogers, apparently. Yes. Yeah. I, what I will say for For Love of the Game is For Love of the Game does a better job than any, any baseball movie ever in depicting 90s baseball on TV. For that, it is very, it is very good. The, like the filmography, the shots, the Vin Scully of it all, uh, the the love story in For Love of the Game is, it makes me fall out of love. Wait, um, what about this, Kyle? John C. So John C. Riley is actually um, starring in the HBO series that's being made uh, based on my book, so I can't be too harsh. But he's the catcher in this in that movie. Gusinski, man. Every time he jogs out to the mound, and he's like. You just got to do it for the boys. Just one more for the boys. I'm like, Jesus Christ. You know what the catcher actually be saying? He gives the big chill moment in that movie, oh. though. The we don't stink right now speech. It's really good. Oh, my Kyle. I just want to say, this is where Catherine's right. As a guy who's covered so many baseball games, he'd be at the mound saying, yo, check out, check out the skirt in row two. She's hot. Like, there's no way he'd be like, just do it for the boys. I mean... You know, uh, there there are lots of parts of For Love of the Game that just should have been left on the cutting room floor. The the corny John C. Riley Gus Sinski speeches I I am taking. Uh, Jeff, oh. what is your favorite Costner sports movie? I guess besides McFarlane USA. Uh, Bo Durham. By okay, far. we're all, not we're a, all uh, on the same page. Yeah, I'm not a uh, Field of Dreams guy at all. I get the why people are. It's not just not my my cup of tea. Bull Durham is going to be the last episode of this podcast, and it's going to be a seven-hour episode. It might just be me by myself. <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, let's. I want to get into the IMDb trivia because Jeff, you were talking about how remember the Titans embellishes. I, I think any sports movie based on fact is you know based on a, a true story is gonna is gonna embellish is gonna change things. It, it's just how it's it's how movies work. Um, and, and we're not we're not watching this because it's a documentary. It said the same thing about Moneyball um, when it did an episode on it, you know, a couple uh, like a month ago now. And then it's it's not we're not watching it for you know to to learn documentary style. Um, but th this is some stuff that I th I thought was cool or at least notable. Uh, Jim White did not create the cross country team at the school, but instead restarted it after it had been dropped for a year. But he actually rebuilt the boys and girls cross country team despite only the boys team being featured in the film. It's, I get that that would have spread the ball around too much, I guess that I think that would have been tough to, to, cause I think we were almost, it's something I'll get into. I think we we're almost lacking for a lot of background around the seven boy runners. And so doubling that might've been a challenge, but it's kind of disappointing to not have, not have seen that, that he actually restarted both of those programs. I agree with that. That's interesting. But I kind of agree with what you're saying. It would be very hard 
it's hard enough. One thing this movie definitely lacks is hyper-focusing on the runners themselves. Mm-hmm. And to have 14 runners instead of seven, not so, not so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim White had also uh, not been fired from numerous prior teaching jobs before starting him in Farland. So he, he apparently did not throw a cleat at a locker and then uh, cut a kid's face wide open with it, which was the physics of that. I was, um, you know, the plastic cleat face kind of kind of wild. Um, this one is is something and it. You know, for me, it's the least realistic part of the movie, and I'm I'm not fat shaming anyone here. Uh, oh, this is you. part of the IMDb trivia. Danny Diaz was not overweight as a kid. He was, however, the seventh person on the team and still instrumental to its 1987 state title win. So, Jeff, you you ran cross country. How many how many Danny Diaz body types did you run with? It's so interesting. This was a discussion during the movie. Not just Danny Diaz, but actually their best runner. In the movie, was that guy is kid. built like a brick shit house, though. Like he's I, like super muscular. That's not yeah. usually what you see in cross country runners. No, every now and then, but it's very unlikely a kid built like that would win um, the California State tra- Cross Country Championship. Maybe it's possible. I don't know. It's just very unlikely. Danny Diaz. I mean, every now and then you would have like a football player go out for cross country, and. You know, he'd be there to get in shape and, all right, I'll run the race, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Danny Diaz became a pretty decent runner in this in this movie. It's a little far-fetched. Not ridiculous, but a little far-fetched. Yeah, I, uh, my, my alma mater, my high school, was actually a state cross-country powerhouse. And you'd see, you know, every morning driving into school, you would see all the cross-country guys wrapping up their morning run or whatever they did. And they were all um, – I'm, I'm a fairly weight-privileged person. I'm fairly skinny. Uh, the, these kids all un, like I outweighed them by thirty pounds. So, uh, but let me just say, Kyle, running crazy things. Catherine Perlman, when I met her, her goal was to run a marathon. She'd never run a ten k, anything, anything, and she became a two time marathoner. So, if you work hard in running, one of the beauties of running truly is you can accomplish a lot in the sport. A lot of it is heart and hard work. Also, I was gonna want, I was gonna say that in the marathon. And in all the races I did, you could not predict at the start line who was going to end up where. And I was shocked. I'd be like dying halfway in and boom, there are these people, double my weight, same size as me, chugging along, beating me, you know, beating me by an hour or so. Like it's sometimes I think it's um, hard to tell with runners. And I personally looked at Danny Diaz's legs and I felt like he looked like he had some sport in him. Well, I mean, the, the surprise performance of Danny Diaz is one of the best best parts of the movie, which we're going to get into. I want to get into best scenes. Uh, Catherine, since you're new here, I've, you know, we I'm going to do these chronologically. I list, you know, I, my favorites. We talk about it as we go. Um, if I miss one of your favorites, by all means, stop me, interject. Uh, I actually, I listed a lot for this movie. There's a it's another reason why I think this would be a really good TV movie is that there's a lot of, you know, there's no... Um, for me, there's no super, there's no like real powerhouse scene. Um, I, I think about Miracle and I think about um, when they're they're doing the punishment running and I've got to hear Mike Ruzioni, I play for the United States of America. Like I, that like electric jolt through my body just thinking about that scene. There's nothing like that, but there's just a lot of good stuff that if this was on TNT, I, you know, I would throw it on. Um, the... <laughs> 
the the first one I've got is the the football scene at McFarland when he's already McFarland. I'm not listing it because it's one of the best. I'm just listing it because I have grievances. Um, I, I I have a lot of questions. So what do you mean, beef? That um. The little guy's getting his ass kicked in football and the coach just throws him back in there. Yeah, so for, for one, that school wouldn't be playing 11-man football. I don't think they had 20 guys in the field. <laughs> I don't know about California. In Texas, we have six-man football for right. small schools like that. Um, so you, you wouldn't be playing 11-man football when you can't even make two sides of the ball. That's um, And then, but the, okay, so the thing is, so Costner pulls the kid off the field. He's like, you're not going in. The kid has a severe, severe head injury, severe concussion. But he doesn't go tell the coach, like, he doesn't walk up and be like, hey, this kid doesn't know his own name. Like, he's wrong. He just, like, smugly looks at him, like, kind of like an asshole. And he's like, I just expect he, and like, yes, the coach is a jerk. But I'm like, hey, why don't you go walk over and say, hey, we have a, you know, if you put that kid in and he dies, we, we're going to have a severe problem. Um, he just, <laughs> like, he just looks at him as he's understood that that he should, you know, that that kid's not going back in the game. It's not it's not a way you start a new working relationship. It also seemed unrealistic because I feel like we're currently talking a lot about concussions, but I just feel like back then where they really focused so much on, you know, let's like give him two weeks after he got a head injury and like, you know, I feel like they're just like, yeah, you look okay, go back in. I don't know. That kid weighed about 106 pounds. He just got run over. I don't think most coaches, even off, awful coaches, are sending that kid back in the game. Well, what a coach would send him in the game in the first place. Well, he's one of your players. If you yeah, want to put coach him in the game. Coach only has 15 guys yeah. to make an 11-man starting lineup. I mean, he's yeah. like, Rudy, you know he's going to get hurt. I feel like the one thing, Kyle, that really bothered me, if I were that team, I'd be running basically a three-man line with no linebackers and eight defensive backs and just sort of have them hovering around. I thought the defensive scheme was like. Was lacking. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, what, what was his name? I'm not sure. Uh, Coach Jenks was really a, d- a defensive whiz. I don't. I don't think the D. I don't think the D one ranks were going to be calling him anytime soon to get him to come implement implement his scheme. Yeah. Um. Okay. So the the next scene I have the uh, an actual you know good scene is when Jim decides to start a cross-country team, you know, when he pitches it to the principal. I like that he explains why these kids would are good runners, like, you know, the fact that they're, you know, they run to and from school, they carb, they, you know, they carbo-load. Um, you know, I, I enjoy that aspect of, like, it's not just like, oh, I'm starting a cross-country team, I hope they're good. It's like explaining the kind of small science of why these kids would make good runners. I think the one thing you miss in that is and, and one of the things that you miss in this movie a little bit for a while is Jim explaining the benefits of sport beyond just they'd be good. That's a good point, actually. I agree with that, actually, because I think he gets to that later, that it gives these kids an opportunity to do something besides become pickers. You know, they they could really get a scholarship somewhere. Whereas, you know, nowadays it's like there are rich white people trying to get scholarships for their kids and you're thinking like what are you doing you don't actually even need a scholarship and you spent so much money you could have bought college already whereas these kids could really have benefited from an opportunity outside of McFarland. yeah and and just the benefit that that comes with sport of sport sports keep you on on the right track essentially i mean that's like corny a saying it that way but sports give you something to focus on that is that is you know it's I, I, I don't know. I think sports are just good for you. You know what? I will say there is a speech that wasn't made in this movie that probably could have been made in this movie where 
And it's a little cliche sports movie, but where he says to one of these parents, look, your kid is good enough to maybe get a college scholarship, you know, and like talk about, and that the, the parents, I mean, I know there's one point where the dad's like college, blah, 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 blah. But I think like there's this moment where the coach goes to the parent and says, look, your kid, I think your kid can really end up blah, 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 blah. And you know, there, you don't really have that moment. I think that's one of my favorite parts about Coach Carter. Have you have y'all seen Coach Carter? Is that the Samuel L. Jackson one? That's the Samuel L. Jackson movie. Yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, I, in the Big Screen Sports Facebook group, which everyone should go join, I ran a poll about what the best basketball movie is. I gave five choices, and Coach Carter had more, more votes than all of them combined, which kind of threw me for a loop. But, anyways, what I like about Coach Carter and that and that Samuel L. Jackson character is that his the the guy's whole focus and what I think every high school coach's main focus should be is not winning or is not e- not even you know creating this powerhouse of like oh we're going to get all these scholarships and stuff it's just about his kids it's just about the welfare of his kids and their grades and making and pre- better preparing them for the future i think that at, at base level that's what high school coaches and that's what sports should be for and yeah, I, I think some of that was missing from this movie, at least like a, a blanket statement. Uh, Jeff, I also want to ask you when the he pitches the cross country to the principal, the principal's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's a private school sport. To me, cross country is the cheapest sport that you can implement at a school. Yeah. That's you need insane. short shoes and some land. That is the dumbest. There were a couple of holes. I don't know if you want to get to worse. You don't. I don't want. I don't want to step on the worst scenes now. But there were some holes in the perception of running. They're, they were talking about running like it's golf and badminton. Um, yeah, that's way off. Running is is super cheap. Um, it's you know it's it's easy to get people to do. Uh, you can bribe kids into doing it with you know fitness, and you don't have to take gym. Yeah, that was. I don't know what that guy was thinking. That makes no sense whatsoever. It was a strange statement. Very. The next scene I've got is when White pulls Thomas off the bridge. I'm not entirely sure this was a really good scene, but I thought it was one of the more emotional scenes. Catherine, when you saw this scene, when he comes across Thomas with his, you know, with his black eye hanging his feet, did that hit right for you? No. And actually, I'm <laughs> one that can overlook a lot of things in a movie. Like, I don't care. But like, maybe this is me being the therapist. I just thought, Wow, what a freaking coincidence. You know, like six people in town and one of them is about to jump off a bridge just at the time when you're driving around nowhere because you forgot to buy a cake. Like, why are you even out of your house? You're in trouble already. You should be home, like, begging your daughter to forgive you. I mean, the whole thing was just kind of uh, just trying to pull at some, yeah, very contrived and trying to pull at some heartstrings. And the, the movie had so much. And I think you could have conveyed that, you know, he was really had a hard home life which they think they did without some faux suicide thing. Yeah. And up until that point, you hadn't really seen white care about much of anything. Like you weren't really sure about what his care, what the guy's motivations were. Like you weren't even hundred percent sure he actually loved coaching. It was just like a thing he was doing. So I, I, I do agree that I feel like there was a different way to, you know, to, to convey the tough home life and convey that white needs to care about these kids and understand these kids a little better than the, um, you know, the suicide plot. And also the thing about white for getting his, the, the birthday cake, um, that all time bad parenting move. I actually like that scene though. Cause I feel like being a working parent, I think you're very much pulled, especially when you're in a job where you have very needy clients or people you work with that, you know, you're trying to give a lot to them. 
as well as not forget about your family. And I actually felt like that was very realistic. I could see that actually having happened to me. Not really because I'm like obsessed with my kids' birthday cakes, but in some other way, I forgot something because I was also dealing with some very important, vulnerable people at work. It could be like, Kyle, it could be like, just as an example, I'll just pull out of thin air, you kind of forget Valentine's Day and then you run out to Walmart, Walgreens, <laughs> and buy your wife a cup with her initial on it and a crappy box of chocolate. I'm not saying these things happen, but they can happen. Uh-huh. I'm I feel like there's a, a better alternative. <laughs> Inside <laughs> joke. Yeah. We, we've, I mean, we, we've all forgotten something important or messed up, uh, messed up something important with our kids or our spouses, apparently. That's mm-hmm. true. Um, okay. The next scene I have, and this honestly might be my favorite, has nothing to do with sports. Uh, dinner at the Diaz's. How many is that? Seven? Eight? Shang knows rude. Yeah. So it's puking on the table. They come to the family, huh? No, no, senor, please. Gracias, no. but I couldn't. Don't say to me no, okay? My husband, always working. But every day, he's sitting at the table with his family. He's talking, he's listening. How are you going to be family if you're not eating together, huh? I want that back. Yes. Which is, it's potentially the best food I've ever seen on film. Incredibly realistic. As someone with a Hispanic grandma, highly realistic portrayal of a Hispanic matriarch. Uh, very enjoyable and very enjoyable scene. And it's the first time we see white start to integrate himself into these communities and start to kind of understand really who these kids are, what their families mean. And that goes into him going picking, which, um, Costner, Costner looks uh, like he's in a lot of pain. He, he portrayed that picking scene very well. Yes. I, um, it was okay. I have a scene that you're not mentioning, but I don't. I want to make sure you do all your scenes first. Wait, then I want to go to this scene. I love this scene too. First of all, anything with Senora Diaz, I'm all in for. I absolutely love her. She's a queen. She's a queen. And I think that there are several times in the movie where you see him trying to be culturally sensitive, even though it's what he's doing is something that's not really of interest to him. So he keeps the chicken and he eats a ton of food and all these things that you should do, even though you don't want to, because you're recognizing that that's appropriate in someone else's culture. So I kind of like that. And I also, I mean, believe it or not, I liked at the end when he uh, tries to speak to the dad in Spanish, because I too have had that same scenario where it's like, do I talk English? Do I try Spanish? I don't know. I don't want to be insulting if I try English. I don't want to be insulting if I try Spanish. It's just kind of this stupid, awkward thing. And I thought they did that pretty well. That was the funniest part of the movie. You know what, just tell him, just tell him it was an honor to be invited into his home. Dad, he said it was an honor to be invited into your home. Tell him I say thanks. <laughs> they didn't make him the ugly, they didn't make him, except for the early early on when he sort of presumes these guys are gangbangers and then acknowledges he was wrong. They don't make him the ugly Neanderthal. Like they could easily have slipped into that where he's just like, they could have been like, oh, he's a racist and he's down to his last shot. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. He makes some comments about, you know, whatever, you know, Mexicans and blah, blah. But he doesn't actually, they don't take the character to an ugly place. And I kind of respect that they did that. I like that, too. And I think that the fact that they, you know, they show him making honest mistakes rather than being a racist. You know, like eating the fruit, which I guess they were joking. Or, you know, just 
you know, making assumptions about, you know, aren't you going to go inside the store and buy something? And they're like, yeah, that costs money. Or like some making a reference to golf. And they're like, yeah, you think we play golf? So I think that they had him make a lot of honest mistakes when you're learning somebody else's culture. I liked that they put that in there. And I like that they also didn't make him a racist. I agree with you. Yeah, they just they gave him the straight up fish out of water and not the ignorant fish out of water who needs to learn a like a, a hard lesson. It's just like he just needed to integrate himself in this culture a little bit and understand his his players and it, this the city he's in. Um, yeah, no, I, I enjoy that. And him uh, continuing to shovel enchiladas into his mouth, uh, despite being very full, <laughs> reminded me of, of uh, the scene from Ted Lasso when he does that with the, the spicy Indian food, which is just just special have you did you guys see ted lasso no oh you're that's what that's what you're doing when we're done with this podcast no i think we don't get it what is it on it's on it's on on, uh apple tv it's on apple but i I found out randomly i had gotten an iphone recently that i had a a free year of apple i'll be honest it is worth whatever apple costs for one month it is worth it because you'll finish it in a weekend i mean literally have every subscription service that is possible except apple i might as well just get apple same yeah no that that's how i was but it is i mean i'm not joking it was the best tv show i've watched all year and in a long time, it's just fantastic. But anyways, back to McFarland, USA. Uh, the next scene I have is the race to qualify for state, the one with the, the massive hill. Cross-country racing action is great on camera. It is really exciting. Of all like sports you put in movies, I thought it looked awesome. I mean, Jeff, you, you, you've ran. You've been in the shit. How did, that, how did the race action look to you? Great. They nailed it. They actually nailed it. It was perfectly done. It was uncomplicated. They didn't do anything corny. They didn't use any, you know, blur or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or sound. It was perfectly done. And I really, again, I really liked the scenes at the beginning of races. Like, there's a real nervous energy at the beginning of a race. I, I was saying when we were watching it the other day, how terrifying standing at a starting line at a high school cross-country race is. Because everyone bolts out really fast. And, like, there's a one... Um, when Danny Diaz becomes a hero, the one guy on that team bolts out really fast and ends up fading. And that was me so many times. Like, <laughs> it really does happen. You get caught up in the in the adrenaline of it all. I thought it was so well done. Even the coaches along the course saying, all right, you're here, you're here, here's your time, here's your time. All that stuff was, it was as good, it was as accurate a depiction of sports in a movie as I've probably ever seen. I thought it looked awesome on camera. Um, I wasn't really, I was honestly, I wasn't sure what to expect. I don't think I've ever watched a, a running movie. I, I take that back chariots of fire, um, which covered on this pod last year, which I'm probably never going to watch again if we're being honest, but (laughs) that's um, the worst movie of all time that has the best song. It's it's an Academy award winner. It It won best picture. I I mean, I was just crazy, crazy bored during it. Um, can I tell you something funny? Yes. I watched chariots of fire. I think before I tried out for my college cross-country team, me and another guy watched Chariots of Fire, and we were like, this will be our motivational flick. It is the most fucking boring movie ever. It is Wait, so Wait, were you boring. watching it for the first time, or had you seen it before, and you were like, this is what's going to get me going? I think it was I was watching it for the first time. I, don't I, think I, 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 would, hope so. I would hope so, because I feel like... God, you should bad. have turned it off and just been like, All right, fuck it, let's just watch Rocky 3. Yeah, it's so bad. I did the same exact thing for the marathon. This has got to be the one that's going to get you going. It does not at all. No. Yeah, that you should have watched this. 
Cause this, like yeah. the race action in this is inspiring. It's great. Um, I mean, that leads in my next scene is the, the state championship. Um, a, a moment in the, the state championship scene, like the national anthem at sporting events is, is on, it's, it's like whatever at this point, it's even problematic at some point, like at sometimes, like, unless it's sung by Whitney Houston, it's, it's whatever. We should really stop doing it. We should dial back the, the goddamn like faux patriotism. But the the national anthem when when they sing it before this 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 event, I thought it was really wonderful. It was a really good touch. I'm glad they included it because like it, something you forget about because of all the the racism these kids you know feel and the, the part of you know California they're in and and how the town is perceived and how different it is from I would assume most of the viewers of this movie watching. Like these kids are American. This is a, these are American kids. This is a very American story. It's what the American story used to mean. I thought the, the national anthem moment was one of the more beautiful moments of the film. I'm a huge fan of the national anthem. And, um, I, I, it's like my favorite part of a sporting event. So I, uh, if you could throw it in a, a sports, like inspirational movie, I'm for it. Kyle, Catherine is very, she's, um, she's a liberal, huge fan of Lee Greenwood's uh, God Bless the USA, and she wants she wants to take that song back. I'm not going to let anybody take that song from me. That is a good song, and it has does not have to be political. I don't care. I I've, I am all for it. Uh, funny story in my my college summer ball uh, games are we got the least attendance in my my wood bat summer league. We got like a max of 50 people, uh, usually just friends and family. Um, like other teams in the league would get in the hundreds, but we were just the the small the small group in the bunch. But we played Whitney Houston's Super Bowl version of the national anthem before our games, and like in the background, you can hear the Super Bowl crowd. But it's in this small baseball stadium where twenty five people are watching, like a bunch of hungover <laughs> college kids play baseball. It's very, it's like the most chill inducing anthem, and it's just wasted on the that game. Um, but yeah, anyways, national anthem, but the state championship scene, beautiful, beautiful scene. Uh, the Costner speech is like what the fuck I was waiting for all movie talking about why their parents work so hard and why they, why they sacrifice so well. And it's like, oh my God, Coach White, like you actually saw all this stuff. You're aware of the consequences of the, this race. Every team that's here deserves to be, including you. But they haven't got what you got, all right? They don't get up at dawn like you and go to work in the fields, right? They don't go to school all day and then go back to those same fields. That's what you do. And then you come out with me and you run eight miles, 10 miles, and you take on, you take on even more pain. These kids don't do what you do. They can't even imagine it. When I went out in the field that day with you Diaz kids, I'll be honest with you, it was, a, it was the worst day's work I ever had to do in my life. And I said to myself, whatever kind of crappy job I end up in, It'll never be as tough as that. You kids do it every day. The my one complaint is the movie and the score and every they don't. It's the whole movie is very understated. We talked about that to to positive effect. I think it's it's very the movie is very low key. I needed the score from Miracle or Warrior or something behind that speech. I needed like I needed the full corny sports 
sports movie moment in that. I, I would have taken a, a more intense score. Catherine, what what about you? Were you fine with the subtleness of, of the music or did you need a little more oomph? Oh my gosh. I, there's little I like more than like a great score of a movie that's like, you know, the right song at the right moment. I didn't really think of this point, but I don't disagree with you. I agree too, Kyle. I think you're right. That's a good point. That's a very fair point. What is that observatory they were at called? Ooh, oh, Griffith. We know that. Yeah. yeah it's awesome. Place is amazing. In, uh, it's one in La La Land and a bunch of other movies. Yeah, you should. Um, if you ever come out here, it's the freaking, it's a great, amazing place to go. That's it. It's our amazing. top one place of all the places we've been since we moved out to California. That is yeah. the top place. It is beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. And now next time you go, you can think about McFarland, USA. <laughs> um, We're going to relive it. The last scene I've got is actually the where just it might not be the best scene, but I think the where are they now might be the best sports movie. Where are they now ever getting to see the actual people? There is such gratification in that. I don't want to say my big chill moment, but I'm going to say that's the part that I just feel like was so amazing, partly because it's like, oh, where are they now? They were real people, partly because they're still so connected to the school and the town. So many of them. I just thought that was amazing. Like that just really meant that they, you know, were able to give back to their community in the way that they had wanted to and that they, I don't know, just made it all real. I, I loved that part. Yeah, that was very good. I agree. Jeff, Except for did Decora, I, oh, was it, was it, wasn't Danny Diaz, was it? Who was the one that went Victor, to prison? Victor. Oh, yeah. Went, Victor. Did, a, did a stint, Victor but he's, he's back. He's back in McFarland. He's okay now. Jeff, did I miss your favorite scene? Because you, you, you did actually. Earlier. I was a fan when they did the uh, quinceanera for the uh, for the daughter, and she comes out, and that, I know it's corny, but when she comes out and she's kind of glowing, and the whole community was there, I just thought it was a really beautiful moment, and kind of symbolized and you know was really showed how they were embraced by the community and how they embrace the community and how the cultures kind of crossed over. This was a great little moment in that movie that really did it for me. The quinceanera stabbing, you mean? Well, before <laughs> the stabbing. When she just when she comes out in her dress and the you know everyone's around and the dad sees her and he's blown away and it was kind of redemptive for Kevin Costner's character because you know okay I'm, this is my daughter and I'm gonna make it count I thought it was great not the stabbing though stabbing was bad <laughs> Catherine what was your favorite scene in the movie what was the best scene in this movie uh, I'm gonna go with the where are they now and the uh, I loved the quinceanera too I really did I just thought it was sweet and understated and just merging of cultures. And uh, I also, this is like a mini scene, but I loved when Kevin Costner went to go paint the wall of the lady of so-and-so with the cabbages. And the daughter's like, don't even think about it. <laughs> I just loved that. I don't know why it was so silly, but I just thought it was sweet. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of good moments like that. I am going to go with dinner at the Diaz's. I love that. Uh, it's, Maybe it's because I haven't seen my own grandma in over a year and I'm I'm looking forward to the next time that she puts like thirds on my plate and I don't need thirds, but I have to eat them or she hits me. <laughs> I, I enjoy that. Let's take a quick ad break and then get back with the best quote. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so best quote for this one. Um, Catherine, I want to start with you. Is there anything in, in this movie that stands out for you? But I have one clear, clear winner, but I want to defer to you first. Okay, I have one silly and one serious. Perfect. The silly is uh, Sammy Rosaldo. He's the guy who owns the, the uh, town store. And when they're getting ready to do the quinceanera prep, and he says uh, to White, this is going to go a whole lot faster when you remember one thing, we're the Indians, not the Chiefs. Like, I just like the deferential uh, nod to the ladies and like, just sit down. You're not in charge here. The ladies got it. And the other thing that I really loved was um, Jim White saying to the kids, this is going to come down to which runners can handle the pain. And I just, I'm not a runner. I have run, but I would not say I'm a runner. And the thing I have learned the most in running is that it really is all about how much you can handle pain. Everyone's in pain. Even the best runners are in pain. The worst runners are in pain. Everybody's in pain. It's how much more you can go past your pain tolerance and that these kids had been, you know, hard workers all their lives. I just, that felt very like true to me about running and true to me about who those kids were. And I, I that was probably the best line. Jeff, what was the, the best quote in this one for you? It's a dialogue I have uh, I have written down here. Uh, Victor says, Danny Diaz. And David Diaz says, hey, we need seven runners. And Victor says, yes, yeah, seven runners, not six runners and Danny Diaz. And then Jim White <laughs> says, hey, I love this. So Danny's our anchor. And Victor says, yeah, and it'll drag our ass down. And White says, knock it off, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Jim White says, I mean it. You're my anchor, Danny, and not because you're fat. Uh, you're a little fat, okay? So you better lose some weight. So why am I running, Danny says. And Jim White says, because you're going to hold this team straight. If I lose you, I'll lose your brothers. You're important, Diaz. Let's go. Danny Diaz? Hey, we needed seven. Yeah, seven runners, not six runners in. Danny Diaz. Hey, Danny's our anchor. And he'll drag our ass down. All right, knock it off, Buenes. See if those legs work as fast as your mouth. Elmo Bridge and back, go. Go. Hey, I mean it, all right? You're my anchor, Danny, and not because you're fat. And you are a little fat, okay? So you better lose some weight. So why am I the anchor? Because you're going to hold this team steady. Okay? I lose you, I'll lose your brothers. You're important, Diaz. Let's go. And I do think, especially in running, where seven, you know, it's usually a tight unit of seven runners, six runners, eight runners. Everyone really does have their role and has their place. And a good coach makes every runner feel important and feel necessary. Um and it reminds me, my college coach was a guy named Jim Fisher, Delaware, and I was not a good college runner, but he always made you feel like you mattered and that you had a place and that you were coming on and you were improving. And that stuff in running, maybe other sports too, but in running, it really is personal. And I, I just love that segment right there. Okay. But it's like in a league of their own where it's like you could come if you bring your sister. It was kind of like, 
I hear what you're saying, but you know, Danny Diaz, we really only want your brother. So we kept you here because you're going to keep your brothers on the team. But I don't that's know. not what he's saying. Mm. He's saying you're the glue holds the team together. That's what's, you know, yeah, that matters. And he was a glue. And both Kit so from a league of their own and Danny Diaz get to steamroll a bunch of people and, and win in the end. So yeah. it works out for both of them. My favorite is um, there. there's two. Uh, one and one is by uh, Senora Diaz, just the the queen, the god. When she tells White, "How are you going to be a family if you know if you're not eating together?" And that just that sticks to me. Food is important. Eating, sitting down for dinner with your family is very important, and especially in in Hispanic culture, extremely important. So I, I like that one. And then I like the one. Um, I, I think this was the most impactful as far as. Um, feeling for the student situations and kind of the, just the financial circumstances. Most of the family is when one of the Diaz brothers tells white that they are not uh, paid by the hour. They're paid by the field, which is a a really shitty way that we pay. um, We pay agriculture workers in this country. There was a, a, a video that was going around on Twitter recently of, uh, I guess it would technically one of the more unrealistic parts of this movie of, uh, workers in the field filling their, their boxes of food and then sprinting up the the row to uh, put it down because it's they're they're basically being worked so hard that it's like they had they have the more they can finish the more they'll get paid as opposed to being paid hourly for their work. Uh, it is gross and it is a uh, it was a very impactful line in this movie. Yeah, and I also think going back to um, having him go in the field and pick, it's just something that. If before I moved to California, it's something I really never even thought about until you drive from L.A. to San, to San Francisco and you see all these fields. And even in Orange County, you see people picking strawberries. And that just looks so grueling. We don't think about it when we eat our food, you know, from the supermarket, all the hard work and the food, you know, from the supermarket, all the hard work and the little. I just want to also add on to... Um, Senora Diaz, you know, giving them the food to take home because if you don't eat with your family. But the most important part of that whole thing is she says, but I need this Tupperware back. Like, I mean, I just love that. Oh, yeah. That's so that good. I can totally relate. She's just incredible. She's Absolutely the best. incredible. Okay, so the most and least authentic sports centric parts of this movie, Jeff, I want to start with you uh, as the, the, the college runner. What is the most authentic part about this movie sports wise? I think the starting line of the race. And like the bundles of nerves and the anxiety and also the the anthem, the anthem beforehand heading into the start of the race where everyone is just a bundle of nervous energy and that stillness and that scariness right before the gun goes off. I thought I felt that when I watched this movie. Catherine, did you have anything different or was that yours as well? Uh, I actually think when the uh, the kid goes out too fast and uh, he loses it. I mean, I've seen that a million times. And then, you know, someone else, it's its not likely to be Danny Diaz, but still somebody else who is just hanging in, just watching what's going on, suddenly has all the gas and comes in at the end. I mean, I think I've that felt very real to me. I loved that aspect of it because if someone who I, I have never ran competitively, nor will I ever run competitively, <laughs> Uh, the, the team aspect of cross country and how they incorporated that and got that to go on scene. I just thought I was blown away by how good a job they did with the, the running and the racing. And, and I mean, 
this is nothing against runners. I feel like it is easier to replicate good looking running action on film than it is to be like, you know, a guy throwing a baseball 90 miles an hour. Um, you know, we, we've all seen, I mean, Jeff, I think at some point we have talked about on this podcast, what Freddie Prince Jr. Looked like in summer catch. Like we've seen that's, that can be difficult (laughs) to replicate. Um, he's going to kill me, but I just want to say Mike Tolan is kind of a friend of mine and he directed summer catch. And he just, I remember one time him telling me Freddie Prince Jr. was the worst athlete he's ever directed at anything. So. I mean, he, I mean, we've, we've got a category for him. I listened to an interview Freddie Prince Jr. did very recently. He seems like just a gem of a human, seems very nice, seems like he's a great father, all that stuff, but he fucking sucks at baseball. <laughs> um, real shame. Uh, we can't all, you know, he, he got to be super good looking. I, I'm not, I don't feel sorry for him. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think the running action looks really good. Did, did either of you have anything for the least authentic part of this movie? Jeff, again, I'll defer to you. I have a big one that bothered me. I bet I know. Yeah. Well, I complained about it when we were watching it. I do not. All right. Distance running. So again, I ran, I've probably in my life, no exaggeration, probably run 500 races, maybe more from half marathons and marathons to 10 Ks to college races, to high school races. Trash talking is just not a thing. It's not a thing in distance running. It just isn't. And the, you know, I know why they did it. I get it. You know, like the team shows up, the poor Mexicans and the other guys. You mean guys the smug racist from Palo Alto yes. wouldn't be, yes. wouldn't be talking it's, shit. I just, I just don't see that as a thing. I really don't. It's not, this isn't football or basketball where you're trying to say, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't. And it really, I know why they did it. I understand it. You need to build up the enemy a little bit. And it's a wealthy white school and blah, blah, blah. It just did not feel authentic to me. And everything, like you've noted, everything about the running scenes felt very authentic to me. And that, to me, knocked out the legs a little bit. Just briefly, it's not a killer, but I didn't like it. Catherine, what about you? I agree with Jeff, but also that they were uh, the Palo Alto people after a half a season of seeing Jim White are suddenly recruiting him. Oh, my God. You know, that, like, is, that is what I had, the the trajectory of Jim White's career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I, yeah, you say it. I just can't even with that one. It was ridiculous. Also, the Palo Alto coach comes over, and he gives him his card, and he's like, there might be, you know, a spot for you or whatever, and they offer. So the Palo Alto coach, like, straight up walked over and said, here, take my fucking job, guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, I was thinking in Palo. I was thinking in Palo Alto. They have an assistant. You know, no, it was the head coaching job. He actually said said they were giving him everything. Yeah, the head of the running program. Well, maybe the guy was retiring. Wait, I do want to say. I have to say, both you guys like. um, He was a cross country coach at that point for half a season. He barely knew anything. He was using an egg timer. Wasn't an egg timer? It was, that irritate that in itself was one of the most unrealistic, stupid things. It's the most inexact thing, and it counts down, not up. It's impossible. Right. Also, you go to you can't go to Kmart and buy a five dollar, you know, watch. <laughs> I mean, come on, like, but but he's using an egg timer, and all of a sudden, the huge, you know, wealthy school wants you to head their running program because we've had minimal success with these kids. It's that was sorry. I agree with you guys. Preposterous, but who cares? I mean, let's talk about that too. About I mean. You guys are parents with kids. You have a family. I have a family. If you get offered that job, I mean, it. I get that they love McFarland and they had felt really welcomed by McFarland after you know three to four months there. But if you get offered that the job in Palo Alto with the state of the art facility and nice house, and you're going to school in Palo Alto, and guess what else is in Palo Alto? Stanford and. 
I mean, I feel like you're taking the job. <laughs> I don't disagree. I hate to, you'd feel awful for a week, but I'm not taking the job. You I'm are taking the job too. I am you not. I'm staying in McFarland. For how long? The problem with McFarland is more of its location in the middle of the state. It's very hot. Oh. But I wouldn't say that um, I think the, loca- the the kind of community that appeals to me more than Palo Alto. Wait, Kyle, an important, important programming note. Not that long ago, a couple of years ago, Catherine insisted after seeing this movie that we stop in McFarland. No, nope, that did. is not what happened. Nope. <laughs> what do you mean? What, what happened? happened is we were on a road trip. We were, had two kids in the car. Someone had to go potty. We got off at a McDonald's and literally across the street from the McDonald's is McFarland High School. There are the gates and there was a track meet going on right at that moment. And I got out of the car. I made everybody take my picture because at this point, I'm the only one that really was like into that movie. Earl, I don't think you've seen it yet. And we took a picture, but that's how we ended up at McFarland. And I just want to say, I really don't think that there's a prison right next door to McFarland High School. In fact, I feel like there's probably some laws against that. <laughs> that might be yeah, true, but it's kind of much more of a um, developed area than, you know, nothing except a high school and a prison right there. That's Yeah. Oh, yeah, I take it back. It's funny, how, on the map. it's funny how movies, there it's is funny a how movies do Hold that, Hold on though. a second. I take that back. It is very realistic. There is a called Modified Community Correctional Facility, and it is not right next door, but it's pretty darn close. Yep. There you go. Well, how about that? How about that? I mean, they they definitely went the extra mile to make the place look extremely desolate, but I always take that in movies with a grain of salt because like I went to college in the in Odessa, Texas, where Friday Night Lights is based and it doesn't look anything like the uh how they depicted in the movie. So, just a just a fun fact. Also, one last thing with the Palo Alto job. He turns it down right after the state championship meet. Like they have a little powwow with the Palo Alto coaches and he's like, "Nah, I'm out." <laughs> yeah like not like what's the 401k plan how much will i be making right again i blah 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 blah. no nothing i'm just i'm done i don't want that job very Tough poor seat. career very poor career uh self-career advisement by the coach coach white yeah not i i don't think that's the move but let's get into what worked about this one why this one is a hall of famer in in both your eyes i i'm just gonna throw i i need to say because i haven't said it yet kevin costner is the patron saint of sports movies he's the patron saint of this podcast anything that he is in will get a a favorable look on this show <laughs> even draft day my guest for draft day two years ago said the I think the best thing you can say about this movie, he said, I was never not entertained. And that is because of Kevin Costner. And he's even he's better in this one. This movie is better than Draft Day. But uh, anything with Kevin Costner will always get a look for me. Catherine, what about this one? What haven't we discussed yet is, is why this one worked. I mean, for me, it's really the immigrants coming from behind, kind of a forgotten population. And I think just the fact that they made a movie about these kids and that they're the stars and... Um, it really romanticizes their culture and also shows some, uh, some honesty about the difficulties that a lot of people don't want to see and don't want to address. And so, and then there's this like whole sporting part where it's like exciting and you really want them to win and you care about these kids because they're the underdogs. They're like the definition of, you know, underdog. So for me, it's like the whole culture and community and, come from behind and everybody deserves a chance kind of thing that just I could watch over and over again. Jeff, what about you? What works about this one? 
I just thought it wasn't, there were a million opportunities for this movie to be really lazy. And I don't think they took them. I thought they could have stereotyped a million different ways and they didn't. They could have made, as I said, Kevin Costner, the bitter racist cliche. They didn't. Um, it was really well done. It was just really well done. And when I said, I think I said to you, and I've used this line before about this movie, it's closer to an, to an Academy Award level movie than it is your typical crap Disney movie. And I'm not saying it is an Academy Award winning movie. It, it wouldn't be and shouldn't be, but it's quality and it's well done. And they, they really took care with this to make it a enjoyable, worthwhile film to see. Um, so I just, I just think overall they did a real, it, it lacks some thrill, some, you know, some thrills. It definitely probably could use a little more in the score, but I just think overall it's a very, very enjoyable movie to watch. It's an excellent plot. It's it's just it's an excellent story that needs to be told. And I think kind of like what you're saying, it, it's not as heavy handed as it could be, or is it like you know, it's not beating you over the head with this, you know, what these kids go through and the the, the moral of the story and stuff. It's it's just very you kind of take it for what it is, and it's it's a very good display of. You know, it's an important story. It's a relevant group of Americans. It's a, you know, like Catherine said, it's a forgotten group of, of um, Americans. And they also put together this great, really authentic feeling cast um, all the way down. I thought all the, the kids on the team were really good. I say kids in air quotes. At first I had typed this out and I said, you know, the, the child actors are good. And then I kind of looked some of them up and like, okay, no, these were, these were actually grown, <laughs> grown, uh, grown people. But they're genuine, authentic um you know, I, 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 yeah, it's, um, it's just very well done. It's very understated, but it's an important story. And I, I think it, it handles it with care, which is really important because it, it could get cartoonish and it could also, it could almost be a parody, uh, in the wrong hands. Um, I also, as someone who just loves food, I bet there's so much food in this movie that just absolutely slaps when they first get into McFarland and they go to that place and it's like, he's like, do you have pizza? And she's like, no, we just have tacos and enchiladas and burritos or whatever she says. I'm like, all, I bet all that food is, is fucking incredible. I bet it's all amazing. Um, when you find a place like that, you, you had the, we have here in Bernie, Texas, we have the best taco place in the world. Mary's taco shout out. You are the greatest. It's a hole in the wall. It shares a, um, it shares a small building with it used to share it with a vape shop and now it's the headquarters of the Keno County Democratic Party so that's two great things in one building but uh, small places like that the food always slaps I wish there would have been a moment where you saw Kevin Costner take a bite of the taco and he's like this is the best thing I've ever eaten because that would be very realistic I don't disagree I don't also don't want to brag and I, I know Catherine because she's very humble and not brag either we have about a mile and a half away from here at Taco Bell Yuck. Mm -hmm. I love Taco Bell. Uh, oh, ta really? Taco Bell got me through college. Um, I, w I still enjoy Taco Bell once in a blue moon. It's It still satisfies. It still makes me feel really terrible, but I love Taco Bell. But nothing beats a hole-in-the-wall Mexican joint with tacos. It's just I the agree. best thing in the world. With the free chips uh, put on the table right off the bat. Yeah, well, it, it it depends on the if they're sometimes they make the chips in house or they have like a plug like they they buy it. We're we're getting deep in the woods on, on yeah, hole in the wall <laughs> Mexican places, but yeah. I'm kind of hungry now. Um, okay, l let's get into what didn't work about this one. What may where this one might have fallen flat. I I think for me the the main thing is honestly the the soundtrack, and I don't mind how understated and very calm it is through it, but I'm missing. 
a musical note that hits really hard in this one. I'm missing <laughs> when I think about this movie is better than the rookie. The, the Dennis Quaid movie. I yes. mean, when we t- when we talk about guys who couldn't throw a baseball, Dennis Quaid, get the fuck out of here, sir. But there, the part in the rookie when Dennis Quaid gets called in to when Jim Morris gets called into the big leagues for the first time, and that like theme that's kind of like a whistle. It's loud, and it is just. I mean, just thinking about it again, lightning bolt through my body. It's stunning. It's it's the music in that scene. I needed something like that in this one. I think the score was definitely understated and could have punched up the movie a little bit. I think that um, one of the things that's, I think has to be said is it's another example of a white savior coming in and like helping these minority kids. And I think the fact that they did it very understated and it wasn't this heavy hand of how amazing he is, uh, I think was useful and I, but I think when they had him try and rescue the kid killing, you know, committing suicide, that just really was, again, this like white savior coming in. He's going to save the town. He's going to save the people. You know, there's no way around it. If that's part of the true story, I just, it's got to be said that it's a little uncomfortable, but I think considering that they did tone it down very well, except for when he was rescuing on the bridge. It handles it a lot better than a movie like The Blind Side did, which I I will yeah. not watch The Blind Side anymore. Uh, I don't Catherine need to watch The Blind Side. I don't need to watch Sandra Bullock teach Michael Orr to play left tackle. Insulting. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean that Catherine I agree. Likes that is, movie. I like that movie because, like I said, I'm all about cheesy lifting people up, you know, out of their circumstances. I'm a social worker. I can't help it. I love this kind of thing. I'm an addict, but the thing is, that one really hits you over the head with the white savior, whereas this one does do a more nuanced job. I agree. Jeff, you mentioned you love the quinceanera scene. Love. How necessary was the stabbing after? Uh, unnecessary. Very much unnecessary. I don't, I don't actually understand. I could see some, like, one of the seven directors on the film or producers is like, you know, we could really use some conflict here. How about a shooting? Uh, a little too violent. Stabbing. Okay, well, we'll do a stabbing. Um... I thought it was unnecessary. I don't actually think it added any. In fact, I can't think of anything that added to this movie. If you think about it, if they just took that scene out altogether, what is missing from this movie? Nothing. Well, also they had already they had already discussed stereotyping those lowrider guys as you know yeah. these thugs, and it turns out they were these lovely guys. We already established that these are these nice right. people that you can't you know judge from from just looking at them. So we didn't really need the, these other bad guys that were coming in who look like the thugs you thought these were. I mean, that just kind of goes through a bad depth, I think. And it might have been to make the Palo Alto job look more appealing. Like, hey, there's yeah. not quinceanera stabbings in Palo Alto. But like, he, <laughs> he already had the, the big juxtaposition between those jobs. I yeah. also really did hate the coach. The one coach who was like, uh, wasn't he like, I don't remember what he said. How, what do you speak, English or Spanish to them? Or whatever he said. You don't talk about. Yeah, yeah, that, that it's like a lot of lot of casual racism from the other coaches, and like I don't I don't see other high school coaches saying that. No way, and also like not for anything. It's freaking California. This was not Kentucky. Like this is California. <laughs> These are pretty well educated coaches, and if you're a coach and some kid and he's Mexican or black or Asian or whatever, it can run fast. You're like, how do I get this kid on my team? That is all you're about. You are not like, oh, he's a poor. It doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. It does not add up for what's going on here, but. Otherwise, I enjoy this movie very much. I have a nitpick about that first, the first scene in the movie, the football, when he's coaching football in Boise. Yeah. 
when he's 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 kind of getting into it with the kid in the locker room. So there's like 30 plus kids in that locker room. It's kind of a normal what you'd expect of like an Idaho football team. A lot of kids. He's he tells the kid you're our only senior or something. You need to act like it. Wow. How the fuck is there one senior on the team? I had the same problem. I said the exact same thing. What are you talking about? There's one senior as a football team. I mean, that's ridiculous. You'd have no team. Like at that school, you'd probably have every senior boy on the team. <laughs> yeah. Also, so, the kid deserved a cleat to his head. Mm-hmm. Not for nothing. Oh, yeah, no. He, he deserved to get popped. That kid yeah, he That did. kid stunk. <laughs> there's one when Thomas is... There's the kind of the throwaway seat. Thomas's dad telling him to take his nose out of the books... That's kind of I feel like that's the opposite of of typical immigrant parents. And that's, um, you know, I, I say like, I'm, you know, grandson of, of immigrant, I've immigrant grandparents. And and that's kind of the opposite of the theme of the movie and what these people want for their kid. Like they're not busting their ass just for their kids to get another job as a picker. Um, I thought I thought that was a weird line inclusion. Um, but I mean, it does lead to the payoff at the end of like him and his dad, you know, hug it out and whatever. But I, I, I wasn't, I was kind of the, the, the Thomas and his dad relationship thing was very uneven. Like you weren't really, you weren't like, it doesn't Agreed. seem like he was someone you should have been down with. But then at the end of the movie, when they hug it out, you're supposed to feel good about it. And you're like, he, he blacked his eye earlier and told him like to not think about college. Like they, they, they didn't know what to do with stinks. that guy. They I actually know. didn't know what to do with him. I disagree. I think, first of all, he didn't give him a black eye on purpose. He, he was punching the wall, and the kid got to you know, try and calm him down, and he got punched. So it was an accident. Not good, but it was an accident. And I actually felt the dad not wanting to go to college, that felt very real to me. There's, I think a lot of immigrant parents want their kids to have the best opportunities, but I think there are a lot of parents, or at least some parents, who feel like, don't outshine me, like, don't do better than me, like, don't embarrass me, don't make me feel like I'm less than. And he clearly ha- was, you know, had some difficulty with himself and was taking it out on his son. And then he came around, so I guess it's okay. But I don't know, that didn't feel, that felt that felt like some parent would be like that. That's a fair point. I mean, if, you know, if my kid ever starts a, starts a better podcast than me, I'm not sure how, <laughs> how I'll be able to, to handle know- that. Um, just to be clear, the, re- the only reason Catherine's on this show is because she's heard Emmett do it so many times, and she's like, can you get this freaking kid off the show <laughs> and give me my glory? So that's the only reason she's here. She hasn't exactly. even seen McFarlane USA. She's just here because <laughs> she's sick of the kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. Awards for Best and Worst On-Screen Athlete. Like, Jeff Alderferty, I feel like all these kids look like they can run. They all look like quality athletes. Even even Danny Diaz, Catherine mentioned earlier, he's got, like, some tree trunk legs. Looks like he's got some power in those legs. Yeah, I wasn't buying the best runner. I thought their best runner, I was not feeling as a great high school runner. Definitely not as a state champion. His form was actually very bad. His body type was not. And that's not, I'm not saying you can't be an okay runner. You're not winning a state champion at 5'10", 195. Like, you're not. You're just not. You're not. You can't. It's impossible. So I'm not, I would say that's it. It doesn't, doesn't mean he wasn't, he's not a good athlete or a good runner. And I thought, um... I actually thought Danny Diaz, in a weird way, because he was not the best runner, actually carried it pretty well. Like, he, he wasn't supposed to be a fast runner. He was just supposed to be an overweight kid who tried really hard. And that I could almost buy more than the other guy being the best runner. Yeah, no Freddie Prince Jr.'s in this movie, though. No. Um, no everyone looking. So the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. I look at everyone who's not Coster in this movie as a supporting character. Most people, like, 
there's the equal time of possession with the ball. Um, some people get a little more than others. So just notable stuff. Like again, all the all the kids on the team I thought were really good. Uh, you know, all the actors I thought did a good job. The, the guy who plays Thomas Carlos Pratz gets the most time to shine. You know, I I, I think he's quality. Um, Elsie Thomas, who plays the younger daughter, she doesn't really get to do a lot. But what was notable about her is she is great in Eighth Grade, which is a really good movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but we did see that. Yeah, yeah, it is is directed by the great Bo Burnham, who was also in that that uh, that new Lakers series based on your oh, book. Yeah. Yeah, so fun little couple degrees of separation there. I really enjoyed Eighth Grade though, and I, I revere Bo Burnham. Very underrated um, movie. I will throw out that I think that uh, the best supporting character in the movie, and we've talked about her a few times, is uh, Senora Diaz, uh, played by Diana Maria Rivera. Uh, it says a lot about stereotypes that the other two roles I know her from is two roles as a housekeeper uh, in Love wow, and Mercy, which is excellent, and What Women Want, which is problematic, but <laughs> enjoyable. <laughs> I agree. I mean, Senora Diaz, I feel like every scene she's in, is a great scene. She lights everybody up. She brings everyone together. She's tough, but she's like, you know, she's like a lover. I just, I think she's great. And I'm going back to store owner, Sammy Rosaldo. I mean, every scene he was in, I enjoyed. He's very good. Oh, yeah. Jeff, did you have anyone else who can compete for supporting character? No, I think you nailed it. I think she was really good and really endearing and really embracing. And, uh, she didn't have a million lines to work with, but she really sort of carried hers very well. And, uh, the Tupperware line that Catherine mentioned, kind of money it's fantastic i i just i want to throw out uh a shout out to the guy who played coach jenks his name is chris ellis he is a he's been in everything guy yeah but he's been in two other movies i've done in this podcast in my cousin Vinny and that thing you do which is one of my favorite movies of all time uh he's also in apollo 13 yeah he's, he's just been in everything but in my cousin Vinny, he's the guy who owes mona lisa oh, yeah. 200 dollars, and then joe pesci does the weird like jump knockout on him which oh, yeah. is which I, I just I enjoy very much. But yeah, Chris Ellis, great that guy. Doesn't really get to shine in this movie. But um, okay, the big chill, the the category of every episode. Catherine, what is your do you how many big chill moments do you have in this one? I mean, I'd say two, two. I mean, I could watch. That's not Danny Diaz. A hundred times. I could just keep watching oh, yeah. this rewind. That line is awesome. That's awesome. not Danny Diaz. And then that's Danny Diaz. Like, that's just, you want Danny Diaz to be the guy. You know, you just want him to have his moment. And everybody's, like, excited. And I just love Danny Diaz. He barely says a thing in the movie. And I just want to hug him. So I, I feel like that's not Danny Diaz. And then, you know, for me, like, the biggest chill moment is at the end when you find out what happened to the guys and, and that they're all real people and they all still are connected to, uh, they went to college and they're still connected to McFarland. I just, great. Jeff, what's your big chill moment? All right, I just want to say real quick, when I was a high school senior, um, I was in third place in the mile in a meet against a bunch of schools and I was coming around for the last lap and my coach was on the infield. His name was uh, Tom Gilchrist. And he just goes, go get him, Jeff. Like this is the time to do it. Go get him, Jeff. And it almost, I remember at that moment being like, okay, and just going and actually winning this race, right? It's stuck in my head. And that that's not Danny Diaz. Like there are these moments in running. It sounds actually silly where a coach says something from an infield and you're like, yeah, like, yeah, like I, this is my time. All right, I need to do it now. And I just think like that moment is a, it, it should be an all-time great sports movie moment in a way 
it won't go down as one because not enough people have seen this movie and not enough people res i think relate with running um but i love that moment that's my that's my that's it for me i love that moment and especially it's it's basically it's two hours into the movie and big chill moments only work when movies have built up enough collateral where you care about these characters when they do something big. Like there are movies where there's a you know a big last shot or something, but you don't really give a shit about the characters, so it doesn't hit like that. And this movie hasn't really tested us in terms of big chill moments much before that. And it's just this confirmation of, oh, wait, I was actually super bought into these guys. Like, I am right. very here for this. It's a fantastic moment. Just like Catherine said, the where are you now is is it's one of the best ones ever. Like the fact that they're all there and they're running and it's the real life people like that is incredible. Like they need to do that in every based on a true story ever. Like, let's bring everyone back. Start running on the road. We're going to film it. Uh, <laughs> How would you guys, Jeff, I'll, you know, I'll kick it to you. How would you improve this one? Ah, interesting. Um, score. I, I think I agree with both of you. I think the score could be a little more dramatic. And I think they could have made the final meet along those lines a little more sort of emphatic and a little more, you know, a little more emphasis on it, sort of this moment. And uh, I would get rid of all the freaking little racist, um, you know, talk from coaches and and completely get rid of the idea of this offer coming from Palo Alto based on a half a year of coaching uh, cross country. That's about it, though. I think it's a great movie. Catherine, what about you? I agree with Jeff. I would get rid of the thugs and the suicide. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, the suicide, definitely. And then I would make the race, actually. I think they could have made it a little bit longer. I mean, I know it's only a three-mile race, but I feel like they could have. He's first, and then he's first, and then there's a change. I don't know. It was like... The whole thing was about this race, and I think they could have given us a little more race. There could have been more plot lines within the race. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, people do, you know, in cross country, the thing is also, like, because obviously you can you can exaggerate and whatever. Like, in cross country, there is a lot of getting spiked on your calf. There's a lot of elbows at the beginning. There's a lot of pushing at the beginning. There's close moments where you have to charge through two people. They probably could have done a little more with that kind of thing if they wanted to, to make it more more of the physicality of running, I guess. I would have I think they should have cut out about ten minutes. Um I am I think all Disney sports movies should be under two hours. This one should come right in at two hours. And I just say that as someone who's had to to rewatch a million sports movies. <laughs> um at this point. I like I said, you know, the score I would have liked a little more. The Quinceanetta stabbing scene, either get rid of it or yeah. show it to me. Like I wanna <laughs> see if you're going to have a stabbing scene, I want to see some dudes swashbuckling in the middle of the street. I want to see what happened. I think they could have cut it. They probably could have cut it. I also, I this is, I didn't have this on my rundown or anything, but I pulled up the Wikipedia just to get the confirmed runtime, which is 129 minutes. But uh, on the plot, the the Wikipedia, the the plot, how they how they wrote this is. Jim is this sentence, and, and Jeff, you're you're both writers. You're both writers. You've worked with editors. I feel like someone needs to edit this on Wikipedia. It says Jim is offered a full time position at Palo Alto, upsetting Thomas, who wanted to commit suicide. Which oh, no. was like it was like an hour <laughs> earlier in the movie, and it's a very weird place to put it in at that point. Yeah, that's and it had nothing weird. to do with. It. I mean, those two nothing. things were yeah, and were not connected. I I mean, I don't want to I I don't want to criticize the journalists at Wikipedia, but 
Tough, tough. Yeah, uh, last category, cool. before more restore, would you rather see a prequel, sequel, or remake of this one? It is tough to remake a movie that's only six years old, but Catherine, if you had the choice, would you do anything to this movie before uh, prequel, sequel, or remake? Nope, nothing. Leave it as is. It's great. Don't ruin it by adding something. Jeff? Yeah, I got to agree. I mean, you could, do a, you could do a parallel movie with Jim White coaching the girls cross-country team, you know, as a companion movie. But I, I think I will say one thing that's interesting. They show at the end the um, like the banners for the different teams. And if you look closely, the boys team actually had eight runners. But in this movie, there's only seven. So you could do like a, a really cool documentary. What happened to the eighth <laughs> McFarland runner? I would actually if they did a documentary on this, I would actually watch it. Yeah. I'd be I'd be very interested. They could do a prequel of this one, and it's just Coach White going around the country getting fired from various jobs for losing his temper. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Bad Coach. But uh, Jeff, and the guy from am, Hoosiers could be in it too. <laughs> I would. I mean, again, I always say this, but like, put Kevin Costner in more sports movies. I would watch it. Wait, Kyle, will you at least acknowledge here? Because, you know, I've done a bunch of your episodes now, and it's always obvious movies. Not obvious, but well-known, relatively well-known movies. And uh, I think I introduced you to Everyone's All-American, which you liked but didn't love. Wouldn't you acknowledge this is a movie you didn't really know about that turned out to be a hell of a movie? This is, of the movies, this is the best one. I think this is easily the best one we've done. Because um, we've done Teen Wolf. We've done, we've done both Teen Wolves. <laughs> and Teen Wolf 2 is, is special. Um, everybody's all American, which I think has a, like the, the bones are there for a good movie, but how it was built out was questionable. Boring. Yeah. You just, hey. you can't name, you can't name a guy cake <laughs> 40, 42, which should have been better was fine. Yeah. Should have been better. We are Marshall Ugh. really should have been better. This, this is definitely the best movie. And I, I'm very appreciative that you brought this one to my attention. It is a shame actually that it's not on Disney plus. It's not a Disney plus until October. Interesting. And I will tell you. And I don't think Catherine feels as much joy about this as I do. Emmett has now invited a friend over to do, because we can put up a screen in our backyard, to watch both Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2. That is, uh, <laughs> did, did, did that kid's parents know that he's he's about to be, that the kid's never going to be the same. You're so, never but, the same after you watch the Do You Love Me scene in, in Teen Wolf 2. <laughs> and also so what that means is we paid for those movies twice. Oh uh, yeah, that is a problem. We You've paid for bucks. those movies way more than twice, I feel like. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> maybe. That's tough. Well, Jeff, I, I'm glad we finally did a, a legitimately good movie. Catherine, I am so happy that you could join us. Uh, Jeff, tell the folks where they can follow you and where they can uh, find Two Riders Sling and Yang. Uh, anywhere where podcasts are available. And you can, you know, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Perlman. And Catherine will tell you too much. And uh, my website is jeffperlman.com. And Catherine, where can the folks find your book? Uh, my book, Ignore It, is on Amazon or any bookstore, uh, and you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at The Family Coach. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Sports, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate, leave a review. You folks know the drill. Also, for any baseball fans out there, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. Tomorrow on that show, talking to former Ball State first-rounder and survivor of the, the Yips, Luke Haggerty. Great episode. Check that one out. And we will catch you next Monday on Big Screen Sports. Thanks for listening.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.